how many of you are still reading your Bible through in a year? You don't have, you don't have to raise your hand. It's... <laughs> Has it been challenging to do it every single day? Yeah. I, can I be honest and um, I confess to you that I haven't done it every single day? Ron, I feel like Ron is the one that's in charge of this because he brought it to us. And so I do try to read my Bible every day, but I haven't, I haven't been reading it every single day the way it's supposed to be. So if you're, but, but what I do do is um, I, I just take, pick up where I'm reading. So I don't try to read back because after a while you're going to feel like you're overwhelmed because if you go a week without it, it's going to feel like it's a long time. So we just encourage you to keep on plugging away. Um, no matter what part of the Bible you read for the day, it's all good because it's all God-inspired and God-breathed, and so we believe that God uses that to really change and shape and transform us. And so this Sabbath, this morning, the sermon is, a re- is as a result of one of the readings that we did, I think, on Sunday morning, or, or it was one of those. So this morning, we don't have a PowerPoint for good reason because I thought it would be a good idea for us to grab those red Bibles that are in front of you. And I know some of you might not be able to read it very well, but I just encourage you to open up that Bible. Um, I know it's convenient to have the text on the screen. It's very convenient so that we're all reading the same translation. But I'm a little bit old school when it comes to, I like having a, a, a paper and fake leather Bible in my hand. Um, I don't know, call me traditional or old fashioned, but there's something powerful about that, and we always invite you to bring your Bibles. So if you will open your Bibles to 2 Chronicles chapter 29, and in the Red Bibles, it's page 326. 2 Chronicles chapter 29, verse 1. And we're going to begin the story, and we're talking about King Hezekiah. It's a name we don't hear often. It's a name we don't really preach about. But I think once we get through the next couple of moments of, of learning more about Hezekiah and what he did, I think we'll be able to understand a little bit more about what God is requiring of us. So chapter 29, verse 1 says this, Hezekiah was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 29 years. His mother's name was Ab- Abijah, daughter of Zechariah. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, just as his father David had done. I want to stop there for a moment. King Hezekiah was 25 years old, and he did what was right in the eyes of God. Now, for us, it's like, well, yeah, that's what the Bible is about, right? People who did the right things and people who were faithful and people who always did what God wanted them to. But if you've read the Bible, you will know that the Bible is actually filled with names of people who didn't do what they were supposed to. If you read the Chronicles and Kings, both of them are kind of side by side um, uh, tales of what happened. These kings, most of them, did what was wrong in the eyes of the Lord. These kings, here's what they started to do. They started to set up what they called high places. So on mountains or on hills, they would set up these shrines to other gods. And the Israelites, the people who God had rescued out of Egypt, the people for whom God did miracle upon miracle to get them out of slavery, to get them through the desert, he parted the sea, he gave water from the rock, he sent you know, bread from heaven. God did all these amazing things for these people, the Israelites. And instead of them saying like, yeah, this is the God who, who is there for us, who helps us, the God who has been faithful, they start setting up these places of like altars to worship other gods. 
They started doing different things with the temple, and they started not honoring the actual temple where they would come to sacrifice these offerings. They started doing everything kind of willy-nilly. You know, my um, growing up, it was this, uh, this understanding that if you do something Mickey Mouse, have you guys heard that expression? Uh, my dad used to say, like, you know, don't do things Mickey Mouse style. And I was like, I don't, I don't even know what that means, Dad. And he would say it, and so finally he said, it's when you do something um, half-heartedly. It's when you do something where you just do it, but you're not really doing it. And the Israelites were kind of going Mickey Mouse about everything they were doing. They were just like, well, the, the utensils in the house of the Lord, they don't have to be gold. They can be bronze or silver. We can use the gold for something else. They just weren't doing what God wanted them to do. And when we come to the story of Hezekiah, it says at 25 years old, that's a young man, right? He is, he, you know, he is green in the ears, and he is still, you know, he, how does he know? But the Bible says that he did what was right in the sight of the Lord. And if you were to continue to read, um, let's go to verse 10 on that same verse. It says, now I intend to make a covenant or a promise or a deal with the Lord, the God of Israel, so that his fierce anger will turn away from us. They understood. They believed that God was angry with them because they were doing all the wrong things. And Hezekiah says, no, we are going to do the right things no matter how painful it is. And the Bible tells us that he tore down all of the high places. He cleaned out what the Bible tells us, the temple of the Lord. He refilled it with all of the utensils or, you know, the things that they had. It was all made of gold again. Because he knew that God needed the highest level of worship and praise and adoration. King Hezekiah was convicted of something. You see, King Hezekiah didn't just do this because he thought it would be the right thing to do, but King Hezekiah was convicted. Do you guys know what the word conviction is? Conviction is when you know something so deep in your heart and in your soul that regardless of what, of, of anything else, you are going to do what you are convicted of. When you are convicted of belief in Jesus, it doesn't matter what people say about Jesus, right? If you're convicted and you believe that what the Bible tells you about Jesus is true, people can come at you with, well, we don't really know if he was resurrected. Well, we don't really know if Jesus was a real person. Well, we don't really know. Does that change your mind? Not usually because it is a conviction. It is a belief that is held so deep. And this is what Hezekiah had. He was convicted that in order for him to be a good king, he must do everything that God was wanting the kings to do, which meant that he had to go for hundreds of years. He had to overturn what kings before him, older men than him, wiser men than him, I suppose if you could say that, right, wiser, because they weren't wise enough to tear down the high places, but he basically at a young age had to overturn everything that had been done for hundreds of years. Is that easy? Is it easy for us to change things in our own life? But Hezekiah was convicted, and because Hezekiah was convicted, then he committed himself and the Israelites to do what was right in the eyes of the Lord. So let's look at 2 Chronicles chapter 31, page 329. Page 329. Now remember, as you're listening to this sermon, as you're hearing these words, what I do when I'm reading the Bible is I look at this and I ask myself, what is this teaching me? Now, are any of you a king in here? Maybe in your own home, right? <laughs> Wives like to let their husbands think they're the king of their own domain. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> we all know it's not true. But 
None of us are kings. I'm not a king. We have no kingdoms. We have no authorities. We have no, right? But, so, so, so sometimes when we read these stories, we're like, well, I'm not a king, so what am I going to get out of this? But here's the thing. Just pretend like you are a king. Pretend that you are this person that God is talking about in this Bible. And when you begin to put yourself in their shoes, you begin then to ask questions like, what is this teaching for me in my life? So, King Hezekiah was convicted of this belief that he must do what the Lord was asking him to do. And verse 20 of chapter, so 2 Chronicles 31, verse 20, says this. This is what Hezekiah did throughout Judah, doing what was good and right and faithful before the Lord his God. In everything that he undertook in the service of God's temple and in obedience to the law and the commands, he sought his God and worked wholeheartedly, and so he prospered. In everything that he did, he tried to be faithful and committed. Hezekiah was convicted about this. He knew that he must do what was right in the eyes of the Lord. And because Hezekiah was convicted, it led him to commit to doing everything that he did from the moment he woke up to the moment he went to bed to commit to doing what was honorable and what gave glory and honor to the Lord. Remember, he hadn't done what was popular yet, right? He had torn down, for, for some people, it was their whole life they had been going to these other high places to worship to other gods. For their whole lives, they had a way of doing things, but Hezekiah, because of what God did and convicted him, he committed to change that because he knew that what was more important was not what the people might say about him or what the people, how they might overturn him, but it was, he was faithful to do what the Lord had commanded him to do. He was convicted, and he was committed. And now let's look at chapter 32, verse 1. After all that Hezekiah had, wait, after all that Hezekiah had so faithfully done, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came and invaded Judah. All right, I don't know if you're catching what's happening here. After all that he had done so faithfully to honor God, to be obedient to God, to give glory to God, after he had done all of the right things, our society tells us that if you do all of the right things, then what? Then good things will happen. If you do all of the right things and you follow all of the laws, you are going to be rewarded. If you study hard enough, you will get a good grade. If you work hard enough, you will get promoted. The, the point is this. If you do the right things all of the time, then you will prosper. And sometimes people feel like if we are holy enough, then God will be good to us. How many of us, and you don't have to raise your hands, has something bad happened to us? And, and in our minds, we know that maybe it's not God doing this, but we kind of ask God, why, God, why are you doing this to me? Have we ever done that? I've done that. <laughs> I've done that. Because we have this mixed up understanding that if we do good, then no bad is going to happen to us. The truth is, is you can be the best perfect Christian and bad things are still going to happen to you. It's throughout all of the scripture. The best story that we see is in the book of Job. We're not going to get into that. But Job did all of the right things all of the time and he lost everything. So King Hezekiah did all of the right things. He committed himself and all of Judah or the Israelites to do all of the right things. And it says that even though he had done all of this and he had done really difficult things, 
It says, another king, the king of Assyria, decided that he was going to come and take over Judah. So let's just read. Can we read for a little bit? Do you guys all read your Bible this week? Hey, just because we're reading a lot today doesn't mean you can take a break from reading your Bible this week. <laughs> Judger. Okay, so <laughs> verse 1, second part. He, king of the Syria, laid siege to the fortified cities, thinking to conquer them for himself. When Hezekiah saw that the Sennacherib had come and he had intended to make war on Jerusalem, he consulted with his officials and military staff about blocking off the water from the springs outside the city, and they helped him. So basically, let's do war strategy. A large force of men assembled. They blocked all the springs to the streams that flowed through the land. And he says, why should the kings of Assyria come and, and find plenty of water? Verse 5, then he worked hard repairing all the broken sections of the wall and building towers on them. He built, he built another wall outside that one and reinforced the supporting terraces of the city of David. He also made large numbers of weapons and shields. He appointed military officers over the people and assembled them before him in the square and the city gate and encouraged them with these words. Okay, so he was convicted. He was committed to do what was right in every aspect of his life. And when these people were coming to basically try to kill him and everyone in Judah and take their wives and their children, he did whatever he had to do to strategize right, to, to, do, to go to war and do it well. And then this is the part that I want you to pay attention to, verse 7. Hezekiah said this, Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of the king of Assyria and the vast army that is with him. For there is a greater power with us than with him. With him is only the arm of flesh, but with us is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles. Can I read verse 8 again? With him is only the arm of flesh, but with us is the Lord our God to help us to fight, to help us and to fight our battles. It's not to help us fight our battles, it's to help us, full stop, and to fight our battles. How many of us worry about things in our lives? We, we may not even have enemies, right? Like, we may not even actually have enemies that are trying to kill us. We, you know, for the most part, people may like you in general. So sometimes when we read this, it's like, well, again, again, how is this helping me? I don't have any real enemies, you know, maybe we have frenemies, right? Where you're enemies with your friends, but that's not, it's not the same. It's different. But there are other forces and other battles that are going on in the life. There are spiritual battles. There is battle, you know, there's battles for our, for our allegiance and our souls, right? There's what the Bible tells us that God is for us and, and devil is trying to get us away from God. And the devil doesn't care if we believe in him or not. He just doesn't want us to be committed and convicted and wholeheartedly following God. Hezekiah says, be courageous, be strong, do not be afraid, because this is the God who fights our battles for us. We have relationship battles, we have marital battles, we have friend battles, we have church battles, we have all these battles. But if we can just come before the cross and say, Father, just do this for us, fight this battle, eliminate this battle for us, I believe that God, just as King Hezekiah believed, he would work things out. He was convicted, he was committed, and then he acted courageously. So here it is, C, C, and C. He was courageous. 
He had looked back and seen what God had done for the Israelites from his day until all the stories that he had heard back to the creation of, of the world. Hezekiah knew all of these stories. He knew that God would be faithful, so he knew that God would be faithful to his people because they had made a covenant. They had made a deal that God would prosper them if only they would submit to him. He was courageous. He didn't back down. He didn't go and strike a deal with the king of Assyria and say, okay, we'll give you half of our land, or um, if you do this, then we'll do this. He says, no, this isn't right. We, you know, God is on our side. He didn't go and pick the fight, in other words. So let's just read a little bit more. Later, when, when the king of Assyria and all his forces were laying siege to Lachish, he sent his officers to Jerusalem with this message for Hezekiah, king of Judah, and for all the people of Judah who are with him. Okay, so he's already starting this war. And while he's defeating, I mean, he's in battle with one city, and he's not even done with them, but he knows he's, he, I mean, king of Assyria was going to kill everybody. They were the best. They were the strongest, right? So he said, okay, while we're doing this, I'm going to send some messengers, and this is what he says. And I think this is important for us here living in 2015 in the United States, right? We feel like we're under attack for being Christians. We feel like we're under attack for, for believing things that we believe about the Bible and about Jesus and, and about relationships, right? So we have these sets of beliefs, but it almost seems like we're in the minority. Do you guys ever feel that way? Like if we speak up too much, right? Well, so here it is. Verse 10. This is what the king of Assyria says. I'm just skipping over the name Sennacherib because it's too hard. The king of Assyria says this. On what are you basing your confidence that you remain in Jerusalem under siege? When Hezekiah says that the Lord our God will save us from the hand of the king of Assyria, he's misleading you to let you die of hunger and thirst. Did not Hezekiah remove this God's high places and altars, saying to Judah and Jerusalem, you must worship before one altar and burn sacrifices on it? He, see, he, the people in Israel believed that if they worshiped on these other high places in some weird, deformed way, they were actually worshiping God. There's some people that say that when Aaron, after the after Israelites came out of Egypt, when he made the calves, he wasn't actually saying worship this golden calf, but worship it. It's, it's just a symbol. It's just a representation of the God who actually saved you. If that was, let's just say that that was true. You could see how after a while people would stop believing or worshiping the one true God and thinking that it was this golden calf that did all of this. So the king of Assyria says, he is misleading you. This is, he tore down the, you're not even giving homage to him on all these other things, right? Because we think like if we just pray a hundred times more, it's more valuable than the one prayer that we pray, right? It's kind of the same thing here. He's saying before you had all these altars to worship upon, and now he says you only use one. So, you know, king of Assyria is playing mind games with Judah. Are you guys still following? Are you tracking? Verse 13. Do you not know what I and my fathers have done to all the peoples of other lands? This is the king of Assyria. Were the gods of those nations ever able to deliver their land from my hand? Who of all the gods of all these nations that my fathers destroyed has been able to save his people from me? How then can your God, little g, notice, not big g, how then can your God deliver you from my hand? Now, do not let Hezekiah deceive you and mislead you like this. Do not believe him, for no god of any nation or kingdom has been able to deliver his people from my hand or the hand of my fathers. How much less will your gods deliver you from my hand? Hezekiah had just told them that our God, 
the God of creation, the God of heaven and earth. He is the God who fights our battles for us. And after that, the king of Assyria who has dominated everyone now says, how is that one God going to stand up to all of me? So they kept doing this mind games. They kept trying to make people believe the opposite of what was true. They wanted them to miss or to not believe in the God who created all things. Hezekiah was convicted, he was committed, and he acted courageously, believing that God would come through for them. Now, in, in the world of, of theology, when Hezekiah talks and tells his people to be courageous because he believes and he knows that God will fight the battles for him, I believe, I mean, there may have been some doubt in Hezekiah's mind, right? Because intellectually, we believe that that is true. We know that God, that the impossible is the way that God operates. But there's times in my life when I pray and I claim a promise, but there's still a little bit of doubt. Now, I'm not the model for how to be the perfect Christian, so I'm just saying, just like you guys, there's a little bit of that doubt. But in theology, especially when it comes to people who are in the situation of Hezekiah's Judah, they call that kind of language when they said, God will fight for us. God is the one who helps us. God will deliver us. It's called anticipatory speech, or rather anticipatory assertions. And what that means is they know what they believe about God. And what they are saying, when they are speaking that God will do this, they are living as though it is true. They are already anticipating that the promises of God will come true for them. But I think today in this world that we live in, it's, we, don't, we don't function like that. We don't work with these anticipatory assertions of, well, if God was faithful to his people in the scriptures, God will be faithful to us today. I think it's more of, well, I hope that God will help us. I hope that God will be there for us. See, if we're living from the perspective of, well, we hope, well, we hope, I'm not really sure because I don't see impossible things happening, then maybe you're not going to see impossible things happening we have a very limited scope of how we view the world. Maybe the way God answers the prayer, may not, first of all, it's not always the way we want God to answer the prayer. Amen? Like probably 90% of the time, God doesn't answer the prayers the way we want them to. And we should be thankful for that because what we see is, first of all, we can't see beyond this present moment. So when we start asking things from God that we think are going to affect us 20 years from now, we can't even see tomorrow. We have calendars, we have plans, but come on, those change all the time. So when we pray, God is answering exactly the best way for each one of us who have given our faith and belief into God. And King Hezekiah was saying, I know God will come through because this isn't about us. This isn't about Hezekiah. This isn't about Judah. This is about what God is doing in the world to show other people who this God is. See, the biggest, I believe, the biggest lie that the devil ever told us is that your faith, your life, and everything you do is about you. The biggest lie the devil has ever told us is that the world revolves around how you want things to go, how you feel, and how you act. That's why relationships fall apart, because we live from that perspective. I've been there, I know. 
That's why friendships fall apart. That's why our relationships and churches fall apart because we're living out of, the, out of the view that it's what's best for me. But Hezekiah knew that it wasn't about him or Judah. It was about God. See, the Bible isn't about you. The Bible is a story of the God who creates this world and creates you. With, and he didn't have to. And he creates it just to love you. And that makes no sense to us. Right? Can we just be honest? It makes no sense. We can't really explain the why we are really here. Can we be honest? I mean, we, because we are here, we, we understand purpose. We understand meaning. We understand this relationship with God. I think the best way is, why do you have children, in a sense? Because you want to love. Maybe that's the best way we can understand why God created. But the Bible is a story of the God who creates, who sustains, who rescues his people, and ultimately will put an end to all the evil and injustice. The problem is that when things go rough in our lives, we take our eyes off of that God and we place our eyes on ourselves. But King Hezekiah didn't do that. King Hezekiah kept his eyes on God, and he said he will fight this battle for us. Now, I know I probably don't have to read the rest of the story, but we know that King Hezekiah and the Judah, they beat the king of Assyria. Well, they didn't. God did. It wasn't even a battle. It wasn't even a contest. It never even got to the city <laughs> because they anticipated what they believed would be true. So again, he was convicted, he committed himself, he acted courageously, and ultimately God coronated him. Now here's what I mean by that. When a king is coronated, that means that he is officially made the king of the kingdom. And whether people respect him or like him or whatever, whether he earned it or didn't earn it, he becomes the king, and in a sense, he has influence over his kingdom. Which leads us back to none of us are kings. But if we pretended that we were kings and queens, we all have a sphere of influence in our lives. You have influence over at least one person. But if you're honest, you probably have influence over other people. If you work, you have influence over the people you work with. You may not be their supervisor, but just open your eyes when you're at work this, sab this Sabbath. This Sabbath. <laughs> not this Sabbath, but open your eyes when you're at work on Monday. And see the people who, who are not just sitting next to you, because you may not have influence over them, but the people you eat lunch with, the people you go to dinner with, the people you hang out with, that's your sphere of influence. What if you were convicted to do what was right in the eyes of God? You committed yourself to it. You acted courageously, even when it wasn't popular. I believe that God will give you the influence in your life to influence these people around you. And it's not even going to be you. It's going to be God working through you. This is how we read the scriptures. We read the scriptures because we believe that every word in here has some truth and some practical truth to teach us. What God calls you to do may not always be popular. In fact, if we're honest, it's probably going to be very unpopular and people are going to probably, they might judge you for it. Because Jesus functions not by the way the world functions, but by the way God functions. And I'll read this last verse. Um, just to show you that the Hezekiah wasn't perfect. He, it says that near the end of his life, let's just read verse 24. Can we read verse 24? We got time. Um, chapter 32, verse 24. 
In those days, Hezekiah became ill until near the end of his life and was at the point of death. He prayed to the Lord who answered him and gave him a miraculous sign, right? So God is still hooking this guy up and he healed him. But Hezekiah's heart was proud and he didn't respond to the kindness shown to him. Therefore, the Lord's wrath was on him and on Judah and on Jerusalem. But then Hezekiah repented of the pride of his heart, as did the people of Jerusalem. Therefore, the Lord's wrath did not come upon him during the days of Hezekiah. Right? So he wasn't perfect either, just if it helps. Because <laughs> I know very few of you are perfect. God continued to be there for this guy, and he still turned his heart for a little bit. Now, here's how the story ends. There was people from Babylon, from other places, that came to King Hezekiah to ask him about this miraculous sign. Now, I didn't do the research on this part. This is actually the part I read this morning, so I don't know what the illness was. I don't know what the commentators think it was. I don't know what it is, okay? But it was pretty bad, bad enough that because he received a miraculous sign and was healed, that people from other nations were coming to ask about this miraculous sign, okay? So it was something pretty, pretty major. So when they came to him to ask, you know, what this sign was, and I think the problem was that when he, when he acted in pride, it was like, well, I, 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 you know, I was, I'm the king, I'm divine, I was able to overcome the sickness by myself kind of thing, right? So that's why God got mad at him. So God punished him. <laughs> Hate that verse. But, um, because uh, he was a leader. I don't know that how God punishes the rest of us, but and so, when, so then the Bible says that when people came to ask him about this miraculous sign, here's the story. Um, but when envoys were sent, verse 31, chapter 32, verse 31. When envoys were sent by the rulers of Babylon to ask him about the miraculous sign that had occurred in the land, God left him to test him and to know everything that was in his heart. God was like, okay, let's see if this guy's going to take credit for this or if he's going to give credit to him. And, um, and so then it just goes on to say that he, he didn't take the credit for it. Hezekiah succeeded in everything that he did because he knew that the credit, the honor, and the glory belonged to God. Hezekiah understood that the life that he lived wasn't about him, but it was about the God who was working miraculous signs in the life of the city and in the life of his own life. So I'm going to go through this one last time. He was convicted. He was committed. He was courageous. And ultimately, God coronated him and gave him influence because he knew his heart. He knew his heart, and that's why God honored him. So this morning, as we wrap up this teaching, the life of Hezekiah is a model by which you can live your life by how you treat your husband and wife, by how you treat the people that work for you or the people you work for. Conviction alone, your faith alone, isn't going to do very much in this life. I mean, I believe God saves us. Conviction, faith in Jesus saves us. I'm not talking about salvation. I'm talking about how you as a person live your life in this world. And we're imperfect, just like Hezekiah. Hezekiah became proud. Hezekiah had to swallow his pride, and it was painful. And we all have to do that. But to follow the way of Hezekiah is to follow what the Bible teaches us, how to live our lives as Christians. So that's my invitation for you this morning. I ask that you pray with me now. Heavenly Father, we, we always get excited when we read these stories that end well. 
We get excited because we want to believe just as Hezekiah believed that you would come through, regardless of what he was feeling. And so my prayer for my friends and my family who are here this morning is that you would help us to live like Hezekiah, that you would give us the conviction that we need to live in such a way that gives honor and glory to you, even when it's difficult, even when it's unpopular. Father, may you give us your double portion of your spirit so that we could ultimately live our lives in honor and glory to you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.